Our sermon text this morning is Genesis chapter 15, looking basically at the whole chapter. Before we have that reading, we'll pray and seek the Lord's blessing. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we, your people, gather now under your word to hear what it is that you would have to say. Father, I ask that you would help me as I speak. I ask that you would help us all as we listen. Father, may we be given ears that hear, eyes that see, and hearts that are understanding and obedient. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 15, starting at verse 1. Hear the word of God. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Amen. May God bless his word to us. You might well be wondering what exactly is happening here. What's this stuff with cutting animals in half? What's that all about? Well, I want to sort of give you an illustration. The people of that time and of that day would have known exactly what was happening here. But here's my illustration. And it's um, based on truth. One of my sons, one of my sons, recently married sons, One morning up in Queensland, they took a ride in a hot air balloon. And there were about 20-odd people in that hot air balloon, including my son and the girl upon whom he'd set his heart. 
And as the journey was about halfway through, in a corner of that large basket, my son dropped to his knee and held up a little box. I haven't told you what he did, but you all know. You're smiling. You know exactly what he was doing, don't you? He was asking a girl to marry him. It's kind of, it's a recognised practice in our present day and age. A man asking a woman to marry him will drop to his knee and hold up that ring and say something very nice and sweet and polite and ask her to marry him. Well, in Abram's day and age, if you wanted to have assurance of a peaceful relationship with somebody, assurance that you and that person were together, tied with bonds that can't be broken apart, you did what was called to literally cut a covenant. You would cut a covenant. And in cutting that covenant, you would kill and divide animals and you would walk together between those animals. And what you're basically saying is, if I break these promises that we're making, let me end up like the animals that we're walking between. Let me die. Let me be destroyed. Let me be dishonoured. If I break this covenant that we're making, let my fate be the same as the animals we have already killed. Something very like that is spoken of in the scripture. If you want to turn very quickly in your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 34. There we have God addressing his people through the prophet Jeremiah. The people had made a covenant. You see, Jeremiah had been preaching to the people of Judah at that time that they had sinned against the Lord and that judgment was coming and that one of the ways they had sinned against the Lord was they had not dealt lawfully with their Hebrew servants and slaves. If you've read your Old Testament law, if you've read the book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus tells the Hebrews that if ever one of their brethren, another Hebrew, becomes poor and he sells himself into slavery to pay off his debts, a brother Hebrew could only be kept as a slave for seven years and at the end of that seven years he must be set free with a blessing, sent out with money and food. That was the law. And one of the accusations that Jeremiah had brought against the people at that time was you weren't keeping God's law, you were keeping these Hebrew slaves and just holding them forever. But these people are the people of God. And God says that after seven years, you must release them. That was the accusation. And the people, you would think, repented. And they made a public covenant. They passed between the animals and their public covenant was, we will do what's right. And every Hebrew who's been a slave for seven years or more, we will set them free. We will repent. We will obey the law of God. But then after the public ceremony and, you know, the religious excitement had all settled down a bit, they got back home and then they started to think about it. But if I let those three guys go, who's going to harvest the fields? And if I let those two girls go, who's going to clean the house? If I let these people go, it's going to cost me. Not only will I not have workers, but I've actually got to give them some money and some food as they go. 
that all sounded really good when Jeremiah was standing there preaching, but now I'm at home and this is going to hurt and I'm not sure I want to do it. I don't think I'll keep that covenant. It was a mistake. Don't worry about it. And so in the book of Jeremiah at chapter 34, God addresses these people. Looking at verse 17, starting at verse 17, Jeremiah 34, verse 17. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me by proclaiming liberty, everyone to his brother and to his neighbour. Behold, I proclaim to you liberty to the sword, to pestilence and to famine, declares the Lord. And I will make you a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and passed between its parts. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calves, of the calf, I'm sorry. So you see what's being said. You slaughtered an animal, you passed between the two halves of the animal, you made promises which were to the effect of, I will do what is right, and if I do not do what is right, let the same thing happen to me as has happened to the calf. And here in Jeremiah 34, God is saying, well, it's judgment day. You did make that covenant. You did pass between the halves. And guess what? The death that fell upon the calves or the calf in this instance, it's going to fall upon you. Turning back to Genesis chapter 15. We remember that God spoke to Abram, took him outside, it says, turned his face toward the heavens and said, can you count the stars? I imagine Abram shrugged. No, that I cannot do. God said, so shall your offspring be. So shall your inheritance be. More than you can number. Now, Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Salvation. You know, Paul quotes this exact passage in Romans chapter 4, verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And Paul there is speaking of the justification of Christians. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that he's the son of God. We believe that the promises he made, he delivered on those promises. We believe that he is our saviour. We believe that through and by him our sins are washed away and that we have good standing in the presence of God. And Paul is saying, just as Abram believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, we believe. And this is counted to us as righteousness. We're justified, to use the theological term. But my Christian friends, as we get towards now my first point that I want to make here, sometimes faith is strong and sometimes faith is weak. And just because we have faith and just because we believe... It doesn't mean that everything's going to be right and it doesn't mean that our path is going to be strewn with rose petals for all the rest of our lives. Things don't always go easy for the people of God. Abram's got a problem. He's already spoken it at the start of the, of the chapter. Lord, I continue childless. Eliezer of Damascus, he's going to be my heir. Verse 3, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. 
It's funny, Abram. The word itself means blessed father, honoured father. Abram, no children. Here's God's promise. You, through you, shall all the nations of the world be blessed. Your sons, your offspring will inherit the promised land. And Abram's basically saying, I'm pretty old now. And Sarah's pretty old now. And you've not given us any children. And I had to put a, put a codicil at the end of my will. If I don't have any issue, if I don't have any children, well, Eliezer has been a faithful servant all my life. He can have it. So what's the first point of application here? My friends, if you've got a problem, go to God. Okay, there's a difference between grumbling and prayer or complaining and prayer or murmuring and prayer. What's the difference? Grumbling, complaining and murmuring is addressed to other people. Okay, it's what the Israelites were accused of in the book of Exodus. Grumbling, complaining, murmuring. They went to other people. God said this would be great. God said we would inherit the promised land. God said this. God said that. Moses is leading us through the middle of the desert. Grumbling and complaining. What's prayer? Prayer is speaking directly to our God. I don't understand. I don't understand why my wife is barren to this day. I don't understand, Father, why you haven't given us children I don't understand why this goes wrong, why that goes wrong, why life is hard, why business goes broke, whatever it might be. I don't understand. The difference between grumbling, complaining and murmuring and prayer is the complaining is addressed to people. Prayer is addressed to God. My friends, be genuine in your prayer life and do not be afraid to express your problems to God exactly as you find them. He's our ever-loving Father. He's our gracious and merciful God. He wants to hear us pray. And at this point in time, there was no person in the world more blessed than Abram, who in the book of Isaiah is called the friend of God. The friend of God. And Abram, in all honesty, goes to God and speaks directly to God about that which troubles him. It's easy to get yourself under some kind of religious delusion. You sort of, you know, you've got this idea that when I go to God in prayer, I've got to think thoughts that are perfectly holy. I've got to have this faith that can't be shaken nor changed. So I, you know, God wants me to come to him just in such a, a righteous and wonderful way. Well, look, I'm not saying God doesn't desire us to be filled with faith. And he doesn't desire us to live a holy life and all of those things. But he's our father. He desires us to ask. He desires us to speak to him as his children. Go to God with your problems. And don't be afraid to lay them before God. I'm not saying you'll necessarily get the answer you seek, but I am saying you will get some kind of answer. I am saying that ultimately God does care for and provide for his people. I am saying that there are times of testing, but the times of testing always come to pass. You know that scriptural phrase, and it came to pass? One of those things that comes to pass is a time of testing. Go to God in prayer.
And so God deals graciously with our weakness. At verse 7 of our chapter, the Lord says to Abram, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Now, Abram makes a confession here. You know, there's a man, there's a man in the New Testament that said to the Lord Jesus, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Well, here's what Abram says. O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He's confessing his weakness. He's confessing his lack of faith at this moment. O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He looks around at this land of Canaan and says, yeah, I would love to inherit this. I would love this to be the land of my children. This is good land and it's filled with nations. What nations? Well, at the bottom, God himself reels off the nations. Canaanites, Canaanites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites. They're all there. And remember, Abram had just been to war with the kings that had attacked Sodom. You know, there's enemies all around about him. I'd love for my family to possess this land. How do I know? Help me. I'm just one little old man here with one little old wife there. Yeah, you've blessed me. I've got flocks and herds and silver and gold and all of those things. And I don't have children. How will I know? And that's when God says, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. You know, at that moment, I've got a feeling that Abram got goosebumps. I got a feeling that Abram got this sort of burst of adrenaline. You mean, in his mind, you mean, God, that we're going to cut a covenant? You mean that you're going to make binding promises to me? You, God, the creator of the universe, You, God, the ruler over all creation. You, God, who holds everything, as it were, in the palm of your hands. You mean you're going to make binding promises with me? (laughs) Verse 10 just simply reads, and he brought him all of these. But in my mind's eye, I can see Abram running to his flocks, running to his herdsmen, almost like a madman. Get me the best heifer, three years old. Get me. I've lost my space. Get me the best female goat, goat, three years old. Get me the best three-year-old ram, the best. You hear me? I want the very best. Get them, get them now. Get them over here now. Move. Jump to it. Something's happening. I've got to have these things now. You see, just like that illustration at the start when the man bends his knee and holds up that little box, and you know exactly what he's doing. And his heart's beating at 100 miles an hour as he does it. I've done it myself. Your heart beats at 100 miles an hour. That's the feeling Abram's got. You're going to make binding promises to me? You're going to give me a token? A token, a symbol, something that I can remember, something solid that I can lay hold of. A covenant sign. 
But let's look at the next thing. Verse 11. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. You see, it's God who's going to make the promises, but God has given Abram work to do in the meantime. And I'm going to um, just allow me a little bit of sort of, um, I don't know what to call it, spiritual license here. Abram had to fight for that which God was giving him. Now, think of your Christian life, my friends. You know what God has given you. If you're in Christ, you've been given eternal life. If you're in Christ, you have the tokens of God's love. When we have the communion meal, these are the tokens of God's covenant love for us. When Jesus instituted communion, he said, he said this is the new covenant in my blood. But we fight, don't we? We struggle. We fight. We have to struggle and fight against those which would basically spoil our walk with God. We're constantly called to battle. We're constantly called to struggle. Abram struggles. We'll just have a look at a few places in the scripture where exactly the same phrase is used. If you if you will turn with me, go to Isaiah chapter 18. We'll start at verse 1. Land of whirring wings that is beyond the rivers of Cush, which sends ambassadors by the sea in vessels of papyrus on the waters. Go, you swift messengers, to a nation tall and smooth, to a people feared near and far, a nation mighty and conquering, whose land the rivers divide. All you inhabitants of the world who dwell on the earth, when a signal is raised on the mountains, look, when a trumpet is blown, hear. For thus the Lord said to me, I will quietly look from my dwelling like clear heat in sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. For before the harvest, when the blossom is over and the flower becomes a ripening grape, he cuts off the shoots with pruning hooks hooks, and the, and the spreading branches he lops off and clears away. They shall all of them be left to the birds of prey of the mountains and to the beasts of the earth. And the birds of prey will summer on them and all the beasts of the earth will winter on them. What's the idea here? The Lord is bringing judgment. The things that are spoken of, the, um, the cutting off the shoots with the pruning hooks, the tending to the vines, that will all cease. And these are going to be basically left to the elements and the birds of prey will come down and they will take them. Stay in Isaiah, move on to chapter 46, Isaiah 46. Once again, starting at verse 1 of Isaiah 46. Now, the first thing it does is name some um, demonic idol gods. Verse 1, Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your youth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am he, and to grey hairs I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, I will carry, and will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal, and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. Into a god. Then they fall down and worship. 
They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. So at verse 11, Isaiah 46, verse 11, this bird of prey from the east, it's an invading army. It's a ruler invading the holy land of the people of God. God has called someone to come and invade their territory. Why? Because of their idolatry. The same phrase is used again in Jeremiah chapter 12. We won't turn to that one. Go back into Genesis chapter 15. What I'm suggesting to you is that we could look at this idea of the birds of prey attacking the carcasses as the attacks of the world and the attacks of the devil seeking to, as it were, delay, hinder or get in between us and our blessings. My friends, we're called to to warfare. We're called to warfare. The Christian life is not a call to an easy life, much as we would like it to be. And when we have the good times, we wish that the good times would last forever and that the hard times would never, ever happen. That's, That's the way we are. That's the way I am. But we've got to be realistic and honest here. Jesus told us to take up our cross and to follow him. And the Apostle Peter warns us that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. My friends, we must be on guard. We must be willing to fight for the sure knowledge of the promises that God has given us. You see, that's what we cling to. The things of this world are nothing. In the end, the things of this world come to their destruction. But the things that God has promised us, They're the things of eternity. They're the things that we don't want to be separated from. The things that God has promised us are the things that we build our lives upon. They're the promise of our eternal life. So, my friends, be be cautious, be wary. The birds of prey, the birds of prey can be expected to attack. Abram drove them away. Yet even so... Ultimately, when it comes to this covenant, there is something amazing about to happen. There's something amazing. As I described the covenant to you, I described the covenant being a covenant between two parties. And those parties were more or less equal. And those parties moved between the separated animals, the the cut in half animals. But in this covenant that we're about to read about, Abram is asleep. And the parties that pass between the divided animals, well, it's God himself. God is basically saying, Abram, your promise means not much. You're a man. You're human. You can't make things happen. You don't control providence. You can't change yourself. You can't change the peoples around you. But Abram, I'm God. 
I'm making the promises here. Let's read it. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Now, we're meant to stop and immediately think because you should remember that phrase, a deep sleep, from somewhere else in the Bible already, somewhere else in the book of Genesis. When, when, when God said it was not good that the man be alone and that the man needed a helpmate suited to his purposes, what happened? Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And we know what comes next. From that rib is made the woman. God does something great as he has caused the man to fall to sleep. Did Adam create Eve? No, he did not. God created Eve whilst Adam was asleep. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Dreadful, awe-inspiring, fearsome. Now, here's the truth. God, through Jesus, is our friend. God, through Jesus, is our father. Jesus is our elder brother in the scriptures. But here's the truth, my friends. You don't come into the presence of God apart from fearing the power of God. He is almighty. He is all-powerful. With but a thought, he could destroy us. There's a thing that the scripture calls the fear of God. The fear of God. Though we know that he loves us, though that we know that in the Lord Jesus we are his people, yet there's this thing called the fear of God. You don't come into the presence of the Almighty without experiencing the fear of God. We're finite. We're mortal. He's infinite. And to him, time is nothing. He's the creator of time. He is all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful. Think of it. In the New Testament, when people met angels, what was the first thing the angel had to say? In almost every instance, don't be afraid. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. That's an angel. I'm not trying to in any way belittle an angel. An angel is a pure spiritual being, and the holy angels are sinless and perfect. And if you meet one, you're going to fear it. Well, if, if that's our human response in the presence of a holy angel, what would our human response be in the presence of our holy, holy, holy God? Think of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah saw the Lord lifted up. Woe is me, he said. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I'm a sinner. I'm being undone, unmade, destroyed by the presence of this holy God. Behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain. So here we go. The promises are being made. Know for certain. Okay. This is in light of the covenant ceremony. This is in light of the fact that the animals have been cut in half and there's an aisle, as it were, between those dead animals. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Know for certain there's going to be conflict. Though they hold the promises, there's going to be troubles. They're in the world and they're in the war. My friends, if you're a Christian, you're in the world and you ought to be in the war. It's only Christians who are in the battle. You know, someone comes to me and says, I'm struggling with sin ABC, whatever it might be. 
The first thing I say to that person is, well, in a way that's good because you've got to understand only Christians struggle because non-Christians just follow after their sins. They want as much of it as they can get. It's only Christians that struggle. So there's your first bit of reassurance, the very fact that you're struggling. That's, that tells me that the Spirit of God is prompting you to fight. That's a good thing. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So Abram, know for certain. The next 400 years, I've got them mapped out. The peoples of the world, they're under my hand. Empires rise, empires fall, according to my will. Know for certain, Abram, this is what I will do. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, I, I tell you, I spent a fair bit of time pondering this and wondering what to say here. I can't tell you why the Lord appeared as a smoking firepot and a flaming torch. I can't tell you why. I, I don't claim to know why. I could not find nor bring to mind any scriptures that would help me to explain that. I'm being honest. I just I can't break that down for you. But we know from the text on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. We know from the text that this was how the Lord himself chose to appear to Abram. Why? Well, in a way, I'm speculating. I'll give you some answers or I'll give you the best I've got. But in a way, I'm speculating. Well, first of all, I think because those things so obviously are not lended to the idea of an idol. You know, if, if the Lord appeared as a man walking between the animals, well, you can make statues that look like men. But at this time was not the right time for the Lord to appear as a man, to take upon himself flesh. Remember, Abram was not to be an idolater. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. A flaming torch gives light and a smoking fire pot or an oven or possibly a crucible, that kind of thing, things are changed when they go into it. But as I said, that's the best I can give you. For whatever reason, that is the way the Lord chose to appear to Abram at that moment. And the Lord himself passed between these pieces. Do you understand what God is saying? It's God making the promises, not Abram. Abram is, as it were, the passive recipient of the promises of God. It is God making the promises, and the promise of God is, I would die rather than fail to deliver these promises. God sent his son into the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And his son gave his life. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, he gave his life, purchasing the people of God with his own blood. God's promise, I would die rather than fail to deliver these promises. God's son, the Lord Jesus, 
dies in order to deliver the promises. You see, Genesis. You know, the, the things that we're taught in Genesis, they're reaching forward into all of human history. You know, the gospel, it's preached in the Old Testament again and again and again. you just got to look closely enough to find it. God passes between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made or cut a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the land of the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. I just want to make one small application from that, and that is something that I've already mentioned. The rise and the fall of nations, it's in the hands of God. The judgment of nations, it's according to the will of God. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 8 reads, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. It's God who fixes the borders and it's God who lifts those borders. When the borders are broken down, when nations are invaded, when nations are destroyed, it's the judgment of God. The scripture doesn't tell us to read that in any other way than the working of God and his judgments. All things are in the hand of God. All providence, all providence is in the hand of God. God's promise to Abram is that I am God. I will deliver you. I will give an inheritance to your children. Your offspring will be more numerous than the stars. And what are we called in the New Testament? The offspring of Abram? Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abram's offspring, heirs according to the promise. If you are Christ's, you are Abram's offspring. So who do we worship? We worship Jesus. Who is our covenant with God made through? It's made through Jesus. It's his blood that was shed. It's Jesus who gave us the communion meal. Our covenant with God is through the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. But in a way, so was Abraham's. Because what did Jesus say concerning Abraham in John chapter 8? Abraham saw my day from far off and he rejoiced in it. Abraham saw. Somehow or other, Abraham understood. In the providence of God, according to the promises of God, Jesus, descendant of Abraham, Abraham's true offspring, Abraham's true seed, will deliver the people of God from their slavery and will make them God's own people. They will inherit eternal life. We read Hebrews chapter 11 about Abram. It says, in the end, Abram understood there was promises concerning the land of Canaan, but ultimately he was looking for a city whose foundations were laid by God. He understood Canaan is the promised land, but there is more than just some geography in the Middle East involved in those promises. He was looking towards the city of God. My friends, we serve a great and an awesome God. God's promise to Abram was, I would die rather than fail to deliver. And the Lord Jesus himself died in order to deliver. 
and the Lord has been raised from the dead on the third day. Proof of this deliverance. Proof of this deliverance. If he had failed, he would not have been raised. If everything he had said were not true, he would not have been raised. Because death is the ultimate destination of a sinner. Death is the ultimate destination of a sinner. You and I look at each other, you say, we're all mortal and we're going to die. Well, what are we? Well, we're sinners. But the Lord Jesus bore our sins upon the cross. And though we die, said Jesus, yet shall we live. He died and was raised again. And in him we have our covenanted relationship with our God. By his blood we have our covenanted relationship with our God. Abram had the blood of animals. He had a very good covenant. Don't get me wrong. He had a very good covenant. He had a wonderful relationship with God. As I said in Isaiah, Abram is called the friend of God. He has eternal life. Father Abram, he's honoured in the New Testament as the father of the faithful. But we have a better covenant, a much better covenant, because it's not the blood of animals that was spilt on the ground for our covenant. It's the blood of the Son of God himself that was spilt on the ground for our covenant. And so, my friends, rejoice in God's grace, rejoice in God's mercy, rejoice in God's goodness. And as you're reading the book of Genesis and as you're reading Genesis chapter 15, look for the gospel because it's there. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a gracious and a merciful God, showing steadfast love to thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins. And we thank you, Father, that our faith is affixed upon you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we thank you that the blood that was shed for our covenant is the blood of the Son of God himself by which he has purchased his church. Father in heaven, may these things fill our minds with happiness and rejoicing. Father, strengthen us in our faith, we pray. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.